You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Wednesday, July 26th, 2006. This is your host, Stephen Novella, president of the New England Skeptical Society. Joining me tonight are Rebecca Watson. Hey, everybody. Bob Novella. Good evening, everyone. Perry DeAngelis. Guilty by reason of insanity. And Jay Novella. Hey, guys. How is everyone doing this evening? Beautiful. Pretty good, Steve. Not bad. That's a match. First of the news items, we have, uh, I, I, I see that Congress... I think it's just a committee in Congress has proposed an increase in NASA's budget. Now, if you guys remember, when we had Phil Playdown, we talked about the fact that NASA's budget was slashed in order to, or their science budget was cut in order to fund the the shuttle and the moon and Mars mission. So, you know, President Bush told NASA, you know, to go to go back to the moon and to go on to Mars, but didn't give them any money to do that. So they had to cannibalize money from their the science programs. Well, apparently that message has gotten to Congress, and and they're going to give them an extra billion dollars, basically, to fund the shuttle and these missions, and, and hopefully that money will uh, replenish their, their science budget. I thought it was the increase in the budget was primarily for the shuttle and for the uh, space station. That's right, but, you know, but the funds are fungible. You know, it's still good work, it's good a billion work. dollars. Right? Has the decision been made with regards to the shuttle? Are they building a new one? Well, they have plans for a new shuttle. They're well, they working have on to. that already. But they're still going to fly this one until the new one's ready? No, I think they're going to retire the shuttle, like, what, 2010 or yeah, something? Yeah, there's going to be a gap. Their, their goal is to keep the current shuttle flying until the space station is built. Right. And then probably retire it at that point. I mean, that thing is a bucket of bolts. Yeah. You know, it has to go down. It's ancient. Yeah, it's got it to has to be well, put down. It has down. gone down a few times, Perry. Yeah, it's still the most complex machine ever created. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Dude, I like that 1970s technology. <laughs> NASA also just changed their uh, their mission statement. Did they, you hear about yeah. that? Yeah. They did, yeah. They removed... They snuck that through. They snuck they it removed in. They removed the, uh, the a phrase that basically said that NASA's mission is to protect the Earth. Basically, So the, now what's going to happen when the aliens come? That's right. <laughs> Good the aliens will protect them. <laughs> now they're on their side, Jay. Yeah, seriously, get with it. Yeah, but we got we got to mention if you read between the lines, though, what does that actually mean? I know. Well, some some of the people at NASA are saying it's actually it's not just words because they put they reference the mission statement when they submit proposals for projects as a way of justifying the project. And if that's that's not in the mission statement, it'll be harder for them to get funding for projects. Projects that, like. Global warming. Yeah, like doing right. research to, to, to document global warming or to investigate it. What was NASA's reasoning? Was it articulated? Yes, they said. Well, first of all, that phrase was only in there in 2000, since 2002. So it's not like okay. this is a really long history of having this mission. Okay. Uh, they said that they, they changed the mission, sta- the mission statement to, re- to better reflect what they're actually doing now. That, that was basically their justification. Steve, what happens with this, the International Space Station when... The United States doesn't have a fleet, you know, for five years or whatever. Yeah, well, we'll still have rockets, and, and I think that we're going to be depending to some degree on the Soviet fleet, of the of the Russian fleet. But to, you're right. I don't know what the plan is, you know, how we're going to maintain a space station without a shuttle. Remember the big news conference eight or nine years ago about the alleged or possible fossilized microbial life from Mars? Yes. What's happened with that? I don't even hear about it anymore. Did, uh, have they confirmed it? No, it's not confirmed. Uh, there are still some scientists who are holding on to that uh, hypothesis. This is, you know, they found an asteroid in Antarctica that was um, a meteorite, rather, that's from Mars. They were able to, you know, by isotope analysis, say that, yes, this is a chunk of Mars. Uh, and it had little tiny microscopic bubbles in it, much smaller than Earth bacteria. And the question was, were these small bubbles essentially fossilized microbial life or was it some natural mineralogical formation? So, so far, they haven't really proven it one way or the other. Really? Ten years later? It was a big deal when they had that news conference. I think the data is just not there to really prove it one way or the other. We just need to go to Europa and settle this. Or in this case, to you know, actually put people on Mars. Now get your ass to Mars. Rebecca, you blogged recently about a news report on Good Morning America informing us all about the Indigo Children. 
it's a good thing that you know they're really getting that sort of important news out to the the population because you know more Americans get their news from ABC News than any other source I've heard from yeah, their right. advertising. Uh, that's what they claim. So more Americans are getting their outrageous pseudoscience from ABC News than any other source as well. Because yeah, now they're talking about indigo teens, which are basically spoiled brats um, who want to feel special, and or at least their parents want them to feel special. So their parents are raising them to believe that they have psychic powers because they're special. Some of the uh, the traits to look for in, in indigo kids are uh, if they're highly accomplished and deeply spiritual, if they get along better with adults than with kids, they might be an in- indigo child. Um, apparently blue eyes help too. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure that I'm an indigo child. That's what I'm getting at. Is this the reemergence of the master race? <laughs> it it kind of <laughs> looks that way from the, uh, the guest that ABC had on. And somebody on my blog, actually, I think it was Bug Girl who blogged for me a few weeks ago, mentioned that there there might be kind of a racial component to that because, yeah, like piercing blue eyes are described as one of the key physical features of indigo kids. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> well, this girl, I, I read the article on this woman, uh, she's 17 now, and she actually said, I see dead people. Yeah, she said the phrase, I see dead people. <laughs> I see my grandmother. She visits me all the time. I have always been visited by spirits. She also said she was treated for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder with medication, and she had you know, bouts of depression, etc. So I think you you characterize these kids as as spoiled brats. I think some of the other kids who are characterized as indigo are have the opposite problem. I think they're just losers who aren't, aren't socializing very well. Is that a medical diagnosis? You know, if you're a parent of a child who you know doesn't do well in school maybe, that does, has social, social problems, maybe has hyperactive disorder or, or some other you know, similar psychological problems. Do you want to believe that your kid's you know, just a loser or do you want to think that they have some deeply spiritual, special gift and they're just misunderstood? You know? <laughs> well, Steve, I, just, I want to point out, though, that a uh, spoiled brat is just a loser who's been pumped up by his parents. So, I mean, yeah. the two things aren't mutually exclusive. Fair enough. But the psychology here is obvious. Obvious to us, but apparently not obvious to the producers at ABC, which is frightening. No, actually, I think the producers of ABC (laughs) don't care. Having dealt with TV producers, honestly, they do not care. No, they don't care. They want to. Is this is this bit going to sell well on TV? This is going to be whatever's going to put eyeballs on screens. That's That's all they care about. Actually, even sadder. Steve, what is this in the article? What does this statement mean to you? They said, uh, quote, no rigorous scientific tests have proven the existence of these so-called paranormal gifts, said psychology professor David Stein. Yeah, that's their token skepticism, which wasn't on the <laughs> yeah. show, by the way. This is just in the, the, the written article, but it wasn't on the But that, that sentence doesn't make sense to me. No rigorous scientific tests have proven the existence of these so-called paranormal gifts. So what does that mean? It means there's no scientific evidence that, that any of this has, right. is true. This is all they made it up. <laughs> means the these claims are sans evidence. That's what it means. Okay, bunk. Bunk. And I, I would also like to say that, uh, you know, regardless of what my skeptical colleagues on the show might say about me, I am in fact misunderstood. <laughs> and it's a good thing too. You mean you're not just a depressed <laughs> asshole <laughs> like Sandy? <laughs> you are misunderstood. I mean, I'm not a loser. <laughs> <laughs> I am misunderstood. Thank you. Okay. Perry, do you see dead people? You know, do you see mob people? Who do you see? I'm, <laughs> I see dead I'm people sur- in the morgue. Yeah, in the morgue. <laughs> They're not talking to me. <laughs> Andrea Yates is back in the news this week. Uh, this is the, uh, she's from Texas, right? The Texas mother who decided one day that she had to murder her five children. I believe they were possessed by demons. Yes, yeah, so she was saving them from their demonic possession. Right. Is that, that the story? By uh, chasing them down through her house one at a time and drowning them. Drowning them, right. It's a very sad, sad story. And the controversy, yes. of course, is whether or not is the very legitimacy of the insanity defense because she got off on the insanity defense this second go-around. On her retrial, which she deserved... In the first trial, the prosecution put on a state witness who lied, so she was deserving of a retrial. And this time, 
the uh, the, the jury found her just today innocent by reason of insanity. Yeah, but you know what? What do they do with you when you're innocent? You know, okay, she's innocent because she's insane, but she's so insane that she kills children. So what do they do with you her? Go into an uh, asylum, you know, a, a psychiatric ward until psychiatrists deem you safe, you know, for, to go back into the general population. That's correct. It's a lot better to be declared insane and go into the psych ward than it is to say go to and prison. Go into the big it, house. Well, yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's endlessly better. Oh yeah, she uh, she has been a prisoner since her first trial, what, some five years ago or so, and as of this afternoon, she is no longer a part of the Department of Corrections. Right, um, she's going to a hospital. When the people there decide that she's healthy, she'll be released. If if that's even possible, though, Perry, I mean, she's probably cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? I mean, this chick is off her rocker. She seemed very sane in the courtroom. During the murders, she was sane enough to wait for her husband to leave and murder the children quickly before her mother arrived. Mm-hmm. Wait, maybe I'm just not uh, up to date on this enough, but why would a sane person kill her children then? I'm, I'm just wondering, like, what's the what's the motive if... Uh, because clearly you, you you think she she's sane, so I'm just wondering why what motive you think she would have. I don't know why exactly she she murdered her children. I mean, I I really don't. I she said they were possessed by demons. Right. See, that to me says says insane right there. Perry, you you don't that. buy the insanity defense in principle, though, right? I like some states have a verdict known as guilty by reason of of insanity. Mm-hmm. I support that. A finding of guilty by reason of insanity means you go to the mental hospital and when they declare you say and when they declare that you are sane, you're not sent to the street, you're sent to prison to finish your sentence. Mm-hmm. I think that's what should have happened to this woman who took the lives of these five innocent people. Okay, but Texas doesn't have that? No, did not. That's why they that's why they had this okay. other finding. Right, but from, from a practical point of view, that's guilty. Um, okay. Because there's no, so you disagree with innocent by reason of insanity. I don't like it. I don't like that some doctors can decide you're sane and set you free. Too many cases of people set free and they go on to butcher folks. Yeah, I don't, you know, unless she was suffering from something that medication can can help. You know, but I think once you kind of cross the line of, you know, you can kill people and you do it, like, not out of self-defense or any of those things. I mean, she flat out, she killed her kids. There's no coming back from that abyss. And and she planned it. The test is not whether or not you premeditated it. The test is did you at the time you committed the crime, did you did you know the difference between right and wrong? She must have. Why did she wait for her husband to leave? Perry, you are saying then that you think she was sane when she killed her kids. Regardless of whether or not she's guilty or innocent. I have a huge problem, Rebecca, with the line of demarcation. Where did this insanity begin and where did it end? She was insane when she killed him, though, right? Uh, was she insane when she waited for her husband to leave? Why didn't she just grab the kids in the middle of the night and drown them? Well, we didn't hear all the testimony the jury did. Hey, guys, people have killed people for the, in the name of God and for religion. For thousands of years. So, you know, does she really stand that far apart from all the other people that have done this? Yeah, having an ideology is different than than not knowing the difference between right and wrong because your brain is malfunctioning. Because you think that your, your, your thinking has become disordered and bizarre and disconnected from reality for whatever reason. You know, our brains don't always function perfectly. Some, and it's possible for the brain function to be impaired to such a degree that you cannot think properly. You are temporarily sure. Yeah. Perry, you were in that state yourself. You had a condition where you were temporarily delirious. You, you... Yeah. Remember remember those five kids you killed? <laughs> <laughs> I was tied See, down. You know, yeah. <laughs> Should you hold somebody legally responsible for actions they take when their brain is malfunctioning? Right, but I but she should be separated from society for the rest of her life. I think the question then are you punishing her or are you just protecting society from her? Well, more protection, more protection. But then the test is she should be separated from society as long as she represents any danger. Now, you can argue that we should err on the side of making sure that she isn't a danger before letting her right. free. Are we forgetting the the whole point behind this is that she did it because she thought her kids were possessed? What, what's the relevance of that? Well, I, I think there is... There's relevance to it, Steve, because people's belief systems actually can influence their behavior like this. Yeah, but I think, I think if she, if if it weren't that, then it would have been she thought that they were, you know, aliens, dragons, or whatever. Yeah, they, they came mean, from a very pious background. The the husband, he is a whack job. I think there's a difference between 
you know, uh, and we we there are cases of this as well. Say a, a mother who is very very religious, who because of her religious beliefs comes to believe that her child is possessed by demons, and then kills them in the process of performing an exorcism. That's that's manslaughter at the very least. I mean, I think they're responsible for their actions. It's again having a, a deeply held, even fanatical or unusual religious belief is not the same thing as being clinically insane, as uh, legally insane, as your brain not okay, functioning. You're right. If anything, she was going to kill her kids, and her religious background gave her just tinged that fantasy with, yeah, with filled whatever. Yeah, when when be, people yeah. become psychotic, when they start to have delusions, they incorporate their belief systems and their culture yeah. into whatever their delusions are. I mean, it's, it's definitely it's an interesting discussion to have. It's a, to, about what, what the definition should of legal insanity should be and what the implications of it are. Again, I ask you, where did the craziness begin and where did it end? Well, Perry, there doesn't have to be a clean demarcation line in order for her to be insane. I have trouble with it in this case. That's the false uh, spectrum uh, logical uh, fallacy where you're saying, ooh. Wait, sorry, Steve, which fallacy is that? I don't think I've ever heard that it's, one. It's the, the false spectrum. You're basically What's saying that, that because you can't draw a sharp line between two ends of a spectrum, that there that there, you can't reasonably define those ends of the spectrum. I think I think that you can be crazy and guilty. Yeah, right. Guilty by right. reason of insanity. Yeah, she's guilty. She did it. She's dangerous. Right. She's she's dangerous and should be put away. Lock her is. up. But the fact of the matter is, as crazy as I get. I'll never murder somebody. I'll never, you know, never pull an insane stunt like that. You don't know that you'd never murder somebody. You can say that right now you're sane enough to say you would never murder someone, but who some knows? Guy, you could some, crack. Some guy cut me off last week. If I didn't kill him, I'm not going to kill him again. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think he could safely say he won't do anything like she did. Unless, unless something happens, you know, unless you get a brain tumor in your frontal lobe, which makes you insane, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. But you know what, Steve? If it happens to me... If I do something like that, I deserve, I'm guilty and I should be locked away one way yeah, or but the that, other. That w- then you are holding people responsible for actions that they undertake when they were not capable of making a reasoned decision, when their brain was not functioning through no fault of their own. My, in my opinion, the person is guilty, they did it, they're capable of doing it again, and they should be taken out of society. Well, that's the key right there. How capable is she of doing this again? If you could, if you could definitively say that she that she will not do this again, then I think her you know incarceration should be limited. But if you could say that, well, we really don't know if she could do this again, then she's in the clink yeah. for the rest again, of her life. Again, you're going to depend on doctors to decide that. Well, let's move on to emails. This what the first email comes from John Burris in Milford, Ohio, and John writes. Greetings from Milford. We are just a hop, skip, and a jump from the soon-to-be-opened Answers in Genesis Creation Museum in northern Kentucky. And it's about damn time. I want answers, but I digress. He goes on, I'm still catching up on your podcast, haven't discovered them only recently, so I am a bit behind you folks. But I wanted to respond to the remark by your resident birdist, Perry, concerning monkeys and eagles. On your May May 10th podcast... (laughs) He threw down the gauntlet to our avian friends by claiming any monkey could kick any bird's ass. Go to the URL below, Perry, and repent. And he gives a URL, which will be on our notes page, of course. Love the show, by the way. Oh, and one more thing. Who is the hot-sounding Brit babe who introduces the podcast, John? That's me. Uh, I introduce the podcast. I do a voice. Yes. He takes. A, he puts on an accent very well. <laughs> Welcome to the skeptic's bloody guy. <laughs> who is it, Jay? Who, who is that woman? The world does not need to know who that incredibly sexy woman is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, he, but she has no relationship with Jay. The, <laughs> not at all. The link that was provided leads to uh, a webpage that talks about the monkey-eating eagle. All right. I, I went to this alleged webpage. Pithecophagia jeffreyi. <laughs> <laughs> Perry, it's got a Latin name. You can't deny it. It's got a Latin name. <laughs> I'll admit that I did not read the long-winded article. I did, however, look at the pictures, and I didn't see one picture of that bird eating a monkey. It's all nonsense. Well, nonsense. To be fair, to be fair, it does dine more on flying lemurs than on monkeys. <laughs> but but if it can get a monkey, it'll eat them. Perry, why is that so hard to believe? Have you ever seen an, any, a bird that size at a zoo? I saw the omen. Did you see what those okay. baboons did? <laughs> I'm not Come kidding, on. though. Like, <laughs> any monkey worth his salt would give any bird a beak flip. 
No, t- Perry, I'm telling a you, that, that eagle could come down on that monkey and break his neck before he knew what time it was. Nonsense. Yeah, grab him by the beak and he'd go, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he would do. He'd give him a beak flip. Wow, that was the most intellectual argument I've ever heard. Eagles are impressive <laughs> hunters, and these are very large birds. So, Perry, don't worry, because even if you're wrong, I mean, there's only 200 of these eagles left. Pretty soon you'll be right by default anyway, because they'll all be dead. So, Yeah, I mean, we're like monkeys, and we're killing all them. Perry, you, you very much stand corrected right now. Just take your lumps and, and we'll, let's move I, on. I disagree. Perry's it's never ridiculous. been wrong in his life. Perry, you can't disagree. What's there, what are you disagreeing with? I just did. The article also <laughs> says that the eagle eats deer. Deer? Deer. <laughs> like Bats, snakes, monitor lizards. I would love to see that. I would love to see an eagle swoop down and grab a deer. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and they occasionally yeah. pick up domestic pigs. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll see. Hey, don't, don't come crying to me when some eagle comes, comes down and sticks his talons in your back. Didn't it just say King Kong? Grab that bird by the beak and tear it open. Yeah! Crack! But R- Rodan would kick King Kong's butt down. Rodan. <laughs> Birds. All right, well, thanks for the email, John. We Please. appreciate the link. An eagle killed Aeschylus, the Greek playwright. That's right. Dropped a uh, turtle on his head or something. So goes the legend. Ornithologists are all misanthropes. Perry, bear with us, because the second email is about birds as well. <laughs> this one is about bird flight. It comes swoop down at me. It comes from Herb Wilson, who is writing in response to last week's interview with Bill Bonetta from the Textbook League. And, we, and Bill talked about the abuse of science and science textbooks. And one of the examples he gave was stating that the Bernoulli principle is given as the standard explanation for how birds fly. Uh, and Bill's point was that this has been debunked, this is nonsense, you know, birds fly by flapping their wings and other, other sources of lift. Herb writes, I appreciate the most recent podcast with Bill Bonetta. Textbook adoption is certainly in a sad state of affairs. Uh, I felt I should write because of Bill's comments about Bernoulli's principle in bird flight. I am an ornithologist and teach ornithology regularly here at Colby College. My own research expertise is in the foraging behavior of birds and bird vocalization. I do, however, follow the literature on bird flight closely. Bill stated that the importance of Bernoulli's principle for bird flight has been debunked for 40 to 50 years, but still appears in textbooks. I believe Bill's interpretation would be rejected by most ornithologists. Bernoulli's principle is alive and well in our understanding of bird flight. And then he goes on to describe in some detail, some more details about bird flight. Well, I actually did a little more background research and, went and had a couple of emails back and forth with, with Herb. I think there's a difference between the aerodynamics literature, perhaps, and the ornithological literature. It is true, I mean, that Bill's dismissal of the Bernoulli effect, I mean, it, it was uh, appropriate, but it was a little bit oversimplified. I don't, I don't know if he meant to imply that the Bernoulli effect doesn't exist, it does. It just does not contribute significantly to lift. Uh, yeah, I, think, I think that that's what his point was, I yeah. believe. The explanation of the Bernoulli effect, basically the notion that there's this equal transit time of wind over across the, uh, the cam of the wing, that's totally bogus. So Bill was completely right about that. But it is true that the Bernoulli effect does exist and does it contribute to lift, both in airplanes and in birds. It's very insignificant, though, with airplanes. Uh, I couldn't find as much immediately on birds, but it, but it, it, the principles probably are similar, and the Bernoulli effect is not the single strongest effect with bird flight either. The, but the most important contribution to, to lift is the fact that the wind is deflected down at the tail end of the, wind, of the wing. So the, the downward-flowing wind is balanced by an upward lift force on the wing or on the plane. There are other sources of lift as well. You know, in insects, Bob, we talked about this, uh, I think, last right. year about the... Yeah, certain, like, certain things, certain effects are created, like, cer- like vortices are created on the wingtips that wing remain tip vortices, stable. Right. And that, and that, cr- you know, and that cr- creates low-pressure areas that, uh, right. that help give it lift. And th- that's, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, people used to say, oh, you know, science says that bumblebees can't fly. Well, that's what science thought until we discovered these, these, new, right. these new ideas. Steve, what about the, uh, the thing that I, I remember being taught in school where... The wind on the top of the wing is moving faster than on the bottom, and it creates a vacuum. Yeah, that's that's the Bernoulli effect, Jay. That's what we're talking yeah. about. You were, I know you weren't here last week, but that's that's exactly what we're talking about. And that's a mischaracterization. The wind does move faster across the top of the wing, but it's because there's less pressure. 
it, the, let, the lower pressure is not caused by ah. the, the faster-moving wind. So they, the textbooks get that backwards. And again, it does produce lift, but it's fairly insignificant. And the, and the equal transit time has been totally experimentally disproven. So that's just flat-out wrong. And Bill was also correct in that, you know, you can't downplay the role of flapping wings. You know, the bird wings are designed to, to basically fold up on the upstroke and, and flatten out on the down, downstroke. So there's asymmetry there, and that produces an asymmetrical downward force uh, on the wind and therefore upward force on the bird. I, I got a question about bird flight. I mean, I, I've seen just recently I was watching this bird fly overhead. It was pretty close, so I had a a good idea of what kind of speed uh, the bird was attaining. I mean, this up and down, this apparently up and down wing motion was giving it, it seemed to be a disproportionate amount of forward uh, movement. I mean, this thing was booking, and it just seemed like it would have to be flapping its wings, you know, uh, you know, in the other direction. Not yeah. Up and down, you think, would make it go up, but not not streak across the sky very fast. The Bernoulli effect and other effects do can do translate the movement of wings into forward thrust so it 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 may seem deceptive you know the birds are, it are is. just the just the wind moving along the wing and, and and flapping the wings actually produces a lot of forward thrust i i think the final thing to say on this intriguing topic is that the bernoulli effect would certainly have no impact on our monkey bird battle because the first move of the monkey is going to be to tear those wings right off and uh, bernoulli will be right out the window with the wings next case Oh, Thank you, Perry. But the real point is that <laughs> yeah. the, the whole notion of flight <laughs> is, actually, that, Steve. <laughs> is a very complicated and interesting aspect in science. There's still a lot of unanswered questions. There are multiple contributions both to lift and to thrust, both in planes and in birds. And the textbooks, basically, they oversimplify it. They get key details wrong. They completely misrepresent the whole thing. That's all fine and good, but this seems a li- it all seems a little bit sophisticated for a K through twelve science textbook. And maybe the topic shouldn't be dealt with at that level. Or if you're going to deal with it, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. But I think if you're going to deal with it, at least more accurately represent the state of the science about how we know what we know, which I which I think is one of my biggest criticisms of science textbooks. They just sort of dryly present facts from authority rather than trying to convey the process of scientific discovery. Flight would be a good topic for that, but they completely missed the opportunity to do so. And many other things. Uh, a second email also follow up from Bill Bonetta's interview last week. This one uh, I clipped from the boards. This comes from Ms. B, who writes, I am also convinced, so this, this is a, a part of her of her post, not the whole thing. I'm also convinced and outraged at the low quality of our high school textbooks, and as a high school teacher in Illinois, District 214, I have 20 years of personal experience bolstering my outrage. However, Bill Bonetta's obvious contempt for teachers is unfortunate. Perhaps he does not realize how many of us struggle with this problem on a daily basis and agree with many of his points. Here's what my colleagues and I do in response to this problem. We don't use the textbooks. They sit on the shelves in our classroom and gather dust. Or better yet, my colleagues in the history department use the textbooks to show students how slanted particular views of history can be. The books are used as bad examples, giving students practice at critical thinking. High school students generally enjoy this sort of irreverence, making for a lively classroom discussion. Excellent. Excellent. So there, there was a, a fairly vibrant discussion about Bill on the boards, and, and one of the themes was Bill's obvious contempt for school teachers. Bill was, I think, an excellent interview. I certainly appreciate what he's doing. Uh, his critical analysis of textbooks is... Uh, I think very eye-opening, very detailed. He certainly puts a lot of time and energy into it. But he does come off a bit as a curmudgeon. Uh, I think he came off that way during the interview. And I think he his many years of experience and frustration and in realizing you know, how difficult the textbook industry is and that teachers are essentially, at least the ones that are on committees and making these decisions, seem to be complicit in the, in the low quality of textbooks, has uh, made him quite cynical towards, towards everyone involved, including school teachers. But there are many excellent school teachers out there. You know, I don't think Bill would deny that for a second, Steve. No, no. And he said, it, you know, I think part of the interview that, that didn't make the final cut, that there are some excellent school teachers, but even if, if there are, they're a minority and they, they can't influence the textbook companies because they don't have enough of a contingency in and of themselves. But it's interesting to hear that, some, that, that the better teachers don't rely on the Either they completely don't use the textbooks, uh, in which case I wonder what they are using. It's also great that Miss B uh, is a teacher and she, you know, she listens to our show. You know, I think 
I'm not just trying to plug us, but I think our show would be a very good way for students to uh, to learn critical thinking. Except for the cursing. Yeah, except for all the damn cursing. Well, actually, a couple, <laughs> yeah, a couple. Screw you, Steve. <laughs> a couple of school teachers have contacted us and asked us if they can use yeah. one or one or more episodes of our show in their class to, as a demonstration of critical thinking. And we said, "Go to hell." No, we said, "Sure." <laughs> no, we said, "We said sure." A hundred bucks. Uh, no, we're actually happy to contribute in our own little way to the education of the next generation of, of skeptics. Uh, the other discussions about Bill on the on the boards focused on his apparent insensitivity to issues uh, around sexism and racism. And, and the, one of the one of our board members actually came to his defense and said that you know he's actually on another forum with Bill, and Bill is not a racist. He's not a sexist. What he is is anti. PC, meaning political correctness. Here, and, here. And it's a fine line to walk. It, and it's kind it, of it, it can be. <laughs> I'm somewhat in this area myself. I mean, philosophically, you know, I'm, I believe in absolute total equality for all humans. I think there's no justification for saying that you know one person is superior to another for any reason, or to say that somebody should not have the opportunity to achieve their full potential. That they need to be pigeonholed into somebody else's idea of what their life should be like. In that sense, you know, I'm an egalitarian. But uh, I think that you can take, you know, pol- political correctness to a ridiculous extreme. I, I think, yeah. Yeah, and this this has come up on our podcast before. I think Bill made it very clear what he was yeah. getting at. You know, he was talking about that black woman poet. He said that the whole point was was that they were putting her in there to, to have a black woman be in the book. It had nothing right. to do... You know, it was more about them accumulating these points to make themselves politically correct. And that's I agree. No, I think point, Bill's points were perfectly legitimate and were not inherently racist in their, their logic or structure. But he does uh, – I think he's just old school. I think it's just his generation. He, he does uh, disdain any attempt at sensitivity. You know, as political correctness. You know, Bill, the way he spoke and the way that he communicated, and I hope this doesn't offend him in any way if he listens to this, but he reminds me of South Park. He just says it yeah. like it is. Good. He didn't edit himself. He wasn't afraid to say, you know, they they put black people in the book, and they put, you know, they talk about this, and they, you know, he was saying it. It was, and it's yeah, it was truth. unvarnished. Yeah, there's no, no, there's no question. Good for him. I loathe I appreciate political that. correctness. Loathe it. <laughs> Me too. Well, you know, Me too, that's, I, I think that's kind of the problem, though, is that there was, there's all this political correctness, and then there's the backlash, and sometimes the backlash goes too far. Right. I agree with that. The anti-political correctness could be taken too far as well, and there's got to be a happy medium where you make a reasonable at- attempt at being culturally sensitive without rewriting history. Right. You know? I agree. How politically correct are the other countries in the world? You know, I mean, is it... Is this, a, is this a phenomenon in the United States and Europe? or I mean, what, I'd love to know the no answer idea. to that question. Uh, my guess would be that political correctness finds a home in the U.S., and that's about it. For, for our listeners who are out there who are, um, do not come to the United States, you know, send us an email. Let us know what the state of political yeah, correctness is. I'd love is. to hear it. I'd love to hear that. The next email comes from Lee, who writes, Wonderful show, guys. It's nice to know you're out there somewhere. Firstly, I would love to hear a brief comment from each of your panelists, and yourself, of course, as to which of the A to Z of pseudosciences they would most like to be true and why. This is purely for fun. This is a question which could also be put to many of your interviewees for a good laugh. Thanks again for the great efforts, Lee. Who wants to go first with that one? I will. E.T. Craft. I would like to think that, uh, you know... There's people from other planets who somehow can get here. That would be the most interesting thing. I think. Yeah. That would be the most profound discovery, you know, in the history of history. That's a good one because it doesn't require any change to our worldview in terms of, you, know, you don't have to suddenly now think that the universe allows for paranormal activity. Right. Uh, and the potential implications of that are huge, you know, in terms no, of... They're, they're endless. Yeah, they're the, endlessly the, profound. And, and you're right, Steve. It does not presuppose a mystical universe. That's right. Who's next? Uh, I'll go. I w- okay, I was going to go with something that gives me a superpower, because just about anything that gives me a superpower would be awesome. <laughs> Become a Scientologist. <laughs> <laughs> See, I considered that, the Scientology superpowers. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much fun would that be? Yeah. But in the end, I decided to go for recycling. 
I really wish that recycling was an actual, <laughs> honest to God, good thing to do for the environment, and instead of <laughs> all the recycling stuff just going into the same bin at the end of the day and not really <laughs> helping the environment at all. See, but it feels so good to recycle that I just really wish it were true. What a dork. Does that count? <laughs> Speak Absolutely. for yourself. Did, Rebecca, did you see the uh, bullshit on recycling? Yeah. What did you think hysterical. of that episode? I thought it was really funny. It was brutal. It was. I was shocked. I mean, recycling sucks. <laughs> you know. No, it feels. That, no, it, see, that's the beauty of recycling is that it, it's it's fairly simple to do, but it feels really good. It gives you like that warm feeling, like yeah, I'm totally helping the environment right now. For some people. Well, for people who buy into it. But it's false, though. Right. I know. That's why I wish it were true. Right. Yeah. Pay attention. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what we're talking about. One. Things we wish were true. Yeah. That's a good one. I would hate if it were true because then I'd have to start doing it. <laughs> All right, Bob, what do you think? I, well, I think your guys, uh, your responses are kind of lame. I, it seems pretty obvious <laughs> to me. I mean, it, what are you talking Life in the universe? What are you talking well, about? Cycling. I could, well, I could beat both of those. I mean, if, if we... If, if I could believe in one, if one was really true, it would have to be, hello, an afterlife. Anything, yeah, it's so obvious. Anything yeah, of course. It's so obvious, but <laughs> of it's, it's obviously <laughs> the best one. It's an afterlife. It's afterlife. Come on. If there was proof of an afterlife, that would make my day. That yeah. would be that would be do? awesome. You want to sit around and stare at God? I don't care what the <laughs> hell I'm I just want to, I don't care what the hell I'm doing. I just don't want it to end. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what if it's an oh, eternity please. with Perry? <laughs> just uh, yeah, you and Perry yeah. sitting well, in a room. Well, that would be that would be hell now, wouldn't it? <laughs> just a little human being choked with fear. Choked with fear. All. I mean, aliens. You're gonna be aliens dead. Are cool, but man, <laughs> if you'd ask me, I'd rather have recycling than an eternity with Perry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't want an eternity with anything. <laughs> Immortality. See, could you bad. put up with that for an eternity? Perry, <laughs> you're the only person <laughs> I know that would make an argument against immortality. <laughs> No, I've heard a lot of people take that oh tack. I hate that. Forget if it. Anyone that doesn't want to live forever does not have a good life to begin with. In my opinion. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? You know, it's a, I'll never forget. I when I I went to a, a dear friend, his mother died. I went to the funeral, was Catholic. And the preacher was preaching, and he said he said, uh, "Don't worry. Your mother's up in heaven. She's she's sitting by a tree. She's waiting for you to come and soon you'll be with her and spend eternity and i said to myself what the hell i mean you know you'd go up there you'd sit by the tree with your mom and do what <laughs> you'd go over the 80 years for the next bit hundred trillion yeah i mean after like the first thousand years you know you'd just be sitting there and you Hey, remember that time we, yeah, yeah. Perry, yeah. your imagination is sorely lacking. <laughs> Perry, yeah, seriously. You're the most boring person on the planet. <laughs> I'm following what the preacher said. <laughs> well, you know what? Well, Can that's... I just say, Perry at least gets points for saying that to himself and not out loud to the rest of the funeral goers. <laughs> I mean, what do you what do you get to go visit other trees? <laughs> oh, my God, Perry. Like, do I get to go see your Perry, mom, Perry, I'm going to make a suggestion. <laughs> Crack a book, pal. <laughs> Try to, try to take up readings. I like the movie with um, Robin Williams where yes, just like you, you that, get your Steve. own little world and universe that you could remake any way you want. I mean, that, all right, that's at least more interesting than sitting under a tree reminiscing. So what's yours, Steve? Well, I was going to say Alien Visitation for the same reasons that Perry did. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's a cool because, you know, but that, I'm going to give the aliens nanotechnology so they could make us immortal. How's that? Yeah. So I get two for one. <laughs> God, you guys are wussing out. I want to fly around the universe <laughs> and, you know, explore stuff and live as long as I want to live and have of course. access to <laughs> hugely advanced alien technology. That's cool. That, How about you, Jay? Or the Twilight Zone to serve man. <laughs> yeah. uh, and right. There you go. We, we, well, we I, should say benign <laughs> aliens, right? Not hungry, evil aliens. <laughs> at first blush, Bigfoot. Reading, entrail reading is at the top of my list. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it, just think one. about how awesome entrail reading is, right? And then I thought aromatherapy, but then, you know, if aromatherapy really worked, then my own farts would kill me, so. Uh, oh, my God. I was about to say you're such a girl, but yeah, never so we mind. Go into aromatherapy. <laughs> you're such a boy. <laughs> the negatives that aroma 
anti-therapy. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, you know, if a good smell could heal you and make you feel good, my farts would kill people, and it would be, there would be, I would be like worse than that woman that killed her kids. I'd be killing everybody. They'd have to put you in solitary. <laughs> No, he'd kill himself. <laughs> I, I definitely, you know, I, the alien thing, of course, the Bob's comment about there being an afterlife in a spiritual realm, of course. You know, but the one that really always got me with In Search Of and everything was always the ESP thing. I always thought that one was just off the hook cool, like the guy moving salt shakers and, you know, that guy making a funny face. And so telekinesis, you want to be able to move stuff The whole your mind. mind thing, the whole reading mind. So you're just you know, lazy. You just don't want to get up and do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Come on! Now, you remember that video? Of that stupid guy who makes the funny face, and all the the fan goes on, the lights are blinking and stuff. But, all right, but uh, ESP would be cool. But I wouldn't want ESP if you had to make those stupid faces to use your power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Or when, when it, in South Park when they all were like, was awesome. Plus, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want other people reading my mind. Yeah, that's not Let them screw them. If they get inside there, they deserve what they get. <laughs> if I had, if I had that kind of power, if I had telekinesis, I'd use it to move aluminum cans into the proper can. Oh, sweetheart! <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know what Perry would do? Perry would go to court. You know, go to court where, where they're prosecuting uh, evil people, like, and he would like strangle them from afar. Oh, look! They dropped dead. Perry would walk out of here. My work is done. Darth <laughs> <laughs> Vader, baby. Vader. The Force. Now, the Force is a cool paranormal yeah. power. But, you know, you have to be a Jedi yeah. and have the whole lightsaber and everything. You have to have the whole bit going before you. A lot of work, you know, a lot of work to be able it's to use true. the Force. And there's that whole, you know, monastic angle to it that's not good. Yeah, yeah. and you get a load of crap yeah. if you go to the dark side. All you need <laughs> is a huge injection of metachlorians and you're all set. Yeah, you're all set. The thing is, Steve, you know what's hard about this? You know, it is fun to talk about it. Yeah. I've never actually had this conversation before. But the thing is, I also don't want any of them to be true because I wouldn't want any of these idiots to get any credit at all. Right. Any of these <laughs> pseudoscientific fools hey, that just... Jay, we got to go where the truth leads us. I know. It is. Hey, man. The thing is, if real aliens show up, that would prove that all the fake aliens that are not really here, you know, is right. crap. Yeah, they'd yeah. say, yeah, they'd say, yeah, this is the first time we've been here. Why do you ask? You yeah, know, oh, you think that there are aliens that look like you except with bigger heads and smaller mouths? What are you, stupid? <laughs> Go around sticking things up cows' asses. Yeah, <laughs> they would, really... that was really funny, probably. <laughs> Steve, was there any chance in hell that you would have picked uh, chiropractic? No. Oh, my God. That's no. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> would anybody have picked spoon bending? Anyone? Just the ability to now, bend If I want to go with the medical <laughs> angle, I mean, there's, there's better pseudosciences there. I mean, I'd like just to be able to lay on hands and have people completely healed. That's oh, yeah. Bad. That is awesome. Yeah, that would go. be pretty damn cool. You'd be there so stinking go. rich, too. Oh, imagine. Be Jesus. Yeah, yeah. You know, though, like, there's ones out there I just don't get, like, where people are so into. Like, who really cares about the hollow earth theory? Well, Neil Adams does. Yeah, but uh, th just think about it. What do you gain from that? What's what's even cool about it? It's just stupid. it's just different. It says you know something. What are you something. talking about? Hollow Earth right. is awesome. You have secret hidden. It's a knowledge. hollow Earth full of monsters, right? Isn't that what the hollow Earth is full of monsters? But well, speaking of that, yeah, speaking that's of true. that, that's pretty awesome. That is pretty cool, though. You're right, Rebecca. Is. That is. <laughs> I do have a name that logical fallacy. For this week, which we haven't done in a little while, but we have no guest this week, so we're going to do a name that logical. Well, fallacy. before you do that, Steve, I just wanted to tell everyone, uh, please, I'd be, I would love to read on the bulletin boards what all of our bulletin board friends, um, what their answer to this question would be. Yeah, absolutely, that'd be a fun discussion on there. So, you know, we've intermittently had a segment where I read something that a pseudoscientist wrote or said, and then we dissect what logical fallacies they're committing. Now, as I said, I believe last week, I'm, I'm engaged in this ongoing email conversation or debate with Neil Adams, who we interviewed two episodes ago, who does believe in the, the hollow expanding Earth and, and with, with a host of implications from that. And I couldn't resist including a statement from his most recent email to me. I'm still in the process of crafting my response, but here's just one paragraph from the most recent email. He writes... I do think the whole of the scientific community is wrong about the assembly of atoms. In fact, I, for one, have not heard a cogent theory about the assembly of atoms in my life, except those general statements like, um, 
in the massive furnaces of gigantic stars, fusion processes this hydrogen into the higher elements of the universe. They don't exactly say how, they just do, and I should shut up. That's his, that's his paragraph. Well, I, I see three uh, fallacies in there. All right, well, go for it. One of the, the weakest one is probably inconsistency, applying, mm-hmm. cr- applying criteria or rules to one belief or position but not to others. Yeah, he does so that a lot. Yeah, he seems like he's really scrutinizing these um, the, the standard scientific uh, claims, but, but he's not you know, vetting his own uh, th- ideas as, as much as he's trying these other ones. Now, the other ones that I think are a little stronger – Argument from personal incredulity mm-hmm. um, is pretty obvious. I mean, he he can't, you know, he he can't understand it or imagine the explanation. So therefore, uh, so therefore, it's wrong. And then straw man, I think, is definitely yeah. strong here. They don't say exactly how. Well, hello. From what all I've read, they've got a pretty darn good idea of exactly how the how those higher elements are are created. I mean, they don't exactly say how. I mean, what's he been reading? Yeah, no, you're right. I think that's the biggest one. And this one runs through his construction of his argument. It's, he, he argues almost constantly against straw men, but they are straw men because he doesn't know what the standard scientific explanation is. I mean, it really does seem like he has a high school textbook understanding of, this, of the relevant science, and that's what he's arguing against. Yeah, and and he, we all know how un, un, inaccurate those high school textbooks right, are. Right, And he thinks that's the cutting edge. <laughs> I thought he's been at this for like uh, 40 years, right. Steve. Confirmation bias hasn't is an amazing he? thing. So, you know, he hasn't heard a cogent theory. That, that doesn't mean one doesn't exist. There is there are very well fleshed out theories that with, with tons of experimental and observational data to support them, we know pretty much exactly how heavier elements are, are built through fusion. We know how much energy is produced. We know now that they produce neutrinos. We've measured the, no, the neutrinos. Why, I wonder, these neutrinos are not being produced in the Earth if the Earth is forming heavier elements. He just doesn't know about any of this. And he thinks because he doesn't personally know about it, it doesn't exist. So therefore, he argues against a straw man, which is really based upon his own ignorance of, of scientific theory. That's the big one. But I think you're right. I mean, so it's a bit of also an argument from ignorance. He's trying to say that it's not known when, in fact, it isn't. Not, it isn't. Even if it were not known, it doesn't mean that his theories are right. And he is very inconsistent throughout his arguing about um, applying scientific criteria, referencing authority. He, like, he dismisses, dismisses authority at one point in time, but then will cite it to, to when he thinks it supports another point of his. And it, my, in my latest response, I actually decided to actually point out every logical fallacy as I go along, which he loves. I mean, he just, just makes his day when I, when I include a logical fallacy in my response. <laughs> it doesn't even give him pause that his little theories, uh, whole hog, throw out d- entire disciplines of doesn't science. Give him pause. Physics? Forget that nonsense. Yeah. Biology? Sure, what do Oof. they know? Geology? My foot. He really does think that he has the insight, genius, vision, and talent to see the truth of things. And that the entire scientific community is a bunch of boobs. The, guys, the guy can illustrate like nobody's business. Of course he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he really thinks that. All right, let's move on to science fiction. It's time for Science or Fiction. So every week I come up with science news items or facts. Typically... And I say typically because we're not going to do what's typical this week. Typically, I have oh, two no. genuine science items and one fictitious. Occasionally, I've used an alternate format that I call the myth format, where I present myths, and one of them is actually true. And that's what I'm going to do this week. The theme is medical myths. So I'm going to give you guys four medical quote-unquote myths. One of them, though, is not a myth. It's actually true. Get Got it? Okay. So, right. so yep. three of these are wrong. They're, they're actually myths. One is, is not a myth. It's actually true. So here we go. Number one, cracking one's knuckles can cause arthritis later in life. Number two, sitting in a hot bath for an extended period of time can render a male temporarily infertile. Number three, it is, a, it is possible to contract the flu from the flu vaccine. And number four, you should keep someone awake for 24 hours following a serious concussion. Perry, why don't you go first? 
Knuckles and arthritis? Possible. Bath and infertility? Nah. Warm is good. Uh, flu from the vaccine? Yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes people have negative reactions to vaccines. My understanding of vaccines is you give them a small amount of the flu in this case so that they can build resistance to it. I suppose if you were compromised in some way, you could instead just get the flu. Uh, what was the last one, Steve? You should keep someone awake for 24 hours following a serious concussion. I, I, I have no knowledge of that topic. Um, yeah, the, I'll go with the flu vaccine. That sounds true. Truest. Bob? Let's see. Cracking knuckles, causing arthritis. That, that's not true. That, that is a myth. It's actually, it's actually somewhat beneficial to, uh, to, uh, to crack your knuckles. I believe it's, uh, it's, it's called uh, synovial, synovial fluid. And, uh, synovial fluid. Yeah, it's in crack, uh, you know, the, cracking the knuckles uh, is actually can be somewhat beneficial if you, you know, done in moderation, I believe. Um, bath, the, a hot gross. bath ca- causing someone to be infertile. On the surface, that seemed correct because I know that um, you know, if it's too hot, like say you, you wear underwear that's too tight and it can, uh, it can cause uh, infertility, but I think it would co- require extended periods of time for that to happen. A simple bath I don't think is going to do that. 24 hours after serious concussion. I mean, I have heard that before, but uh, I'm going to say that that – that is a myth because I think – because I'm pretty darn sure three is true. You can catch the flu from a flu, flu vaccine if it wasn't – you know, if the if the, um, the flu particles weren't completely, you know, inert or, or dead, then you – I have – I thought I've heard of people catching the flu from the vaccine. I know it's a very, very small probability, so I believe that is not a myth. All right. Rebecca? Oh, man. Um <laughs> I, I wasn't really listening to what you guys were saying because I was trying to think this through. Because <laughs> um, at first I thought that the concussion thing was true because I had a concussion when I was a kid. But then I realized that they didn't keep me awake for 24 hours. They let me go to sleep. It just kept waking me up every two hours or so. So I do think that's a myth. How'd you get a concussion, Rebecca? Um, I was, um, some kids were chasing me. I was on my skateboard and I went onto a, a tennis court at dusk and I didn't realize that the nets had been dropped down to the ground <laughs> and I was really flying <laughs> and then I hit one of the nets and I, uh, landed on my head. Um, Ugh. the kids stopped chasing me though. Once I stood up and was covered in blood, they, they all kind of ran away. That's cool. So that was, I wish I had a picture. Yeah. <laughs> that explains a lot actually. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Yeah, you did. Go ahead. <laughs> so give us your answer. Um, okay. Um, then the flu thing, I actually think that that, um, is a myth. Uh, for some reason, I seem to recall reading that you can't get the flu from the flu shot because it's it's inactivated or something. So what's that leave me with? The sperm bath and the, the <laughs> arthritis and the knuckles. Okay, well I'm pretty sure the knuckles thing is a myth. So I'm going to go with the, the the bath thing. All right, that that's my final answer. Jay, <laughs> this is really hard, Steve. I mean, I've just I have memories of of reading about all of these without going into details on each one. I'm I'm going to take a stab in the dark and I'm going to say the knuckles one. Okay. So everyone agrees that you should keep some, someone awake for 24 hours following a serious concussion is, is fake. That is indeed a myth. That is a myth. The, right. the initial thinking was that you needed to keep them awake to assess you know, their neurological function and that if they fell asleep, that they might slip into a coma. But that's total nonsense. In fact, sleep is a good thing. You know, the sleep will help the brain right. rest and, you know, and get better. Uh, if you keep somebody awake, you're just going to add sleep deprivation to their trauma. Uh, and again, you can't just wake somebody up intermittently to assess their neurological function if you need to. But you know, letting them sleep is not going to cause them to go into a coma. So that's a complete and total myth. Jay, I'm sorry to say it, but cracking your knuckles does not cause arthritis. That is also a myth. Uh-huh. Well, what there's, did there's no downside to cracking your knuckles, so crack away. I, all right, just so you know, you know, like a, four years ago, I dislocated the fingers on my right hand. In a horrible uh, biking accident. A horrible low-speed biking accident. I was going three miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, I, the doctor actually, you know, I went to a, uh, a bone doctor. That doesn't really stand up to my cool skateboarding story, no. but go on. Maybe if he you told had gotten me, a concussion instead, you would have gotten this question right. I Actually, I yeah. did get a concussion as well, but um, you don't need to go into the Jeez. details. The thing is, Steve, he did tell me not, never to crack my knuckles. Yeah, well, if you're recovering from an injury... You know, you shouldn't be hyperextending your knuckles, right? Well, you know, you don't have to get technical with it. <laughs> <laughs>
Stop being right all the time, Steve. God. All right. So Rebecca thinks that the uh, the male infertility is uh, the, the is true, and Bob and Perry both think the flu vaccine is true. The flu mm. vaccine, I'm sorry, guys, is a myth. Ha <laughs> ha. Because Man. Rebecca got it right. The flu vaccine is an inactive vaccine. There's no live virus in the flu. Well, vaccine. yeah, that's that's the intention. You can develop like an allergy to it, but you don't actually get the flu. So that's an inactive vaccine, but there are other vaccines that are active vaccines? Yes. There are live virus vaccines, yeah. Not the flu vaccine. Those okay. are inactive. There's, there's several different kinds of vaccines. You can just take a protein that's off the coat of a virus, right? So you just, you just inject that protein. Or you can inject a dead virus. Or you can inject a weakened strain of a live virus. The a live virus is probably the biggest stimulation to the immune system, so that's make it give a better result. But it's a live virus, like the polio virus was was live for a while, and you could theoretically get polio from the polio vaccine. But the flu vaccine is a dead, inactivated dead virus, so you, there is no possibility of getting getting the flu from the vaccine. No one has ever caught the flu from the flu vaccine. No, no, it doesn't happen. You can you can't yeah, get as you can get a reaction to it, but you can get an immune reaction. You to can it. show it's, symptoms. It's not. It's not the flu. You don't get an infection, which means that number two is not a myth. That is actually correct. Now, I now Bob, I think you didn't listen closely enough because the, the, what I said was sitting in a hot bath for an extended period of time can render a male temporarily oh, infertile. Well, uh, why, did you, why did you correct me when I said that? Because uh, <laughs> it's funnier it. when you're wrong. You lose, Bob. <laughs> well, I had four in a row, Jay. When's the last time you had four in a row? Look, don't get look it. Don't you have to get personal. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened, Bob? You you, you, were, you were, had some of the right information. The reason why the male testicles hang low is so to get it is to make it cooler, to get it away from our body heat. At even at body heat temperatures, sperm becomes inactivated. Steve, I thought that was for women to touch them. That's that's just a happy side effect. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we call a delightful epiphenomenon, but that is not, <laughs> that's not the primary purpose of it. I saw an episode of The L Word, yes. and the two ladies in there got some sperm from a sperm donor so they could have a kid, and that woman was keep on their way to the hospital. She was keeping the sperm like between her legs to keep yeah, it but warm. But between your legs is not going to give you the same temperature as inside the body. If you've ever been between a woman's legs, you might know that. Oh, man. <laughs> Just saying. That one's you can take in. that out in really? production. That was, really, you know, that was, that was a little are, are The testicles are between your legs, too. I mean, that's, that's, they need to be warm, just not 98 or 100 degrees. Frankly, I thought I had better familiarity with my testicles. <laughs> That's why they, you know, when we develop, the, 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 actually they, the, the testicles form in the same place as the female ovary does, and then they descend down into the scrotal sac. Which, that's why guys can get hernias. Cause yeah, that, don't worry, Jay. It'll happen one day. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if they fail to descend, then, you, then you're infertile because your, your sperm's too warm. So if you wear, you know, the, the tight underwear, it's a little bit harder to do it that way, but if they're, like, really tight up in there, they could make them too hot. But if you sit in a bath that's over 100 degrees for a couple hours, you'll probably temporarily kill off your sperm, and that, and that uh, you know, may make you temporarily infertile. So congratulations to Rebecca for getting that one correct. Thank you. Yeah, lucky. Oh, yeah, that was pure luck. It was a blind guess. Let's uh, <laughs> do the skeptical puzzle. Last week's puzzle was a logic puzzle. This is, uh, was sent in by a listener, John Maddox. The puzzle was, if you are floating in a boat on a pond and you are holding a 20-pound cannonball, if you then drop the cannonball overboard into the pond, will the level of the pond rise, fall, or stay the same? Several uh, people emailed us with the answer, and several also answered on the boards. Everyone got the answer correct. Nobody sent in an incorrect answer. Uh, what will happen is that the level of the pond will drop. The reason is, is that the cannonball, when it's floating in the boat, will displace its entire weight in water because the entire cannonball is floating above the water. When you drop it into the water, it will only displace its volume in water uh, not its weight. And because a cannonball is denser than water, its volume in water is less than, in weight, than its weight in water. So less of the pond will be displaced and the level will rise, will, will decrease a little bit. We, there is a new puzzle for, for this week, which I'll answer next week. This one uh, is called the electricity problem. 
And here's the puzzle. All the electricity was out in Aberdeen. None of the street lights or traffic lights had power. A dark limousine was cruising down the newly paved blacktop with its headlights off. A boy, dressed totally in black with no reflectors, stepped out to cross the street. The moon wasn't out, and the boy had no flashlight, yet the driver stopped to let the boy cross the street. How did the driver see the boy? That's the puzzle. A kind of These are referred to as lateral thinking logical puzzles because they involve the introduction of a new element. Or you have to consider... You have to consider something that wasn't mentioned specifically in the puzzle. Well, obviously, the driver was a cyborg with infrared vision. That that would work. <laughs> Don't give it away. That was but easy. A, but there's a there's a simpler <laughs> answer. There's a simpler explanation than the cyborg with infrared vision. Okay. Well, that's our show for this week. Guys, thanks for joining me again. Thanks, Steve. Good episode. Always a pleasure. Until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by the New England Skeptical Society. For information on this and other podcasts, please visit our website at www.theskepticsguide.org. Please send us your questions, suggestions, and other feedback. You can use the Contact Us page on our website, or you can send us an email to info at theskepticsguide.org. Theorem is produced by Kinetto and is used with permission. Sleepless nights, slow burn days, problems, proofs, endless delays.